Welcome to Being the Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, we invite a guest or guests to share their stories about being black and brown in white spaces. Today's topic, black in sports. Invented by Native Americans, lacrosse has been said to be one of the least diverse sports in America. Did you know that Jim Brown, yes, the Jim Brown, played lacrosse as well? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Our guest is a worthy, worthy candidate to have this conversation because his journey has been unique and widely awarded. Coach Chaz Woodson is a former Major League Lacrosse player and Hampton Roads native. He is the current head lacrosse coach, men's lacrosse coach at Hampton University. From 2005 to 2017, Coach Woodson competed in Major League Lacrosse alongside the best lacrosse players in the world. He was recognized as one of the most electrifying players in the game and was no stranger to ESPN's Sports Center top 10 list during his tenure as a professional player. Coach Woodson captained the Ohio Machine and made two All Star appearances. He is also part of two U.S. men's national team training cycles. Prior to his professional playing career, he was a standout at Brown University where he captained the team as a senior and was twice named the team's offensive MVP, earning all Ivy League and all New England honors as both a junior and a senior. He's also recognized as a member of the 2000 to 2009 Brown University lacrosse all-decade team. Woodson has made an impact beyond the lines of the cross field as well and served as a member at large of the board of directors of the U.S. Lacrosse, during which time he helped develop the Sankofa Lacrosse Clinic Series, a partnership between U.S. Lacrosse and his charitable foundation, the Sankofa Lacrosse Foundation, to provide free lacrosse clinics to boys and girls in communities that are underrepresented in the lacrosse landscape. He's a consultant and development director for the Thailand national team program for five years. And he was the founding board member and coaching director for the nation United Lacrosse, an organization that helps elite high school lacrosse to showcase and increase diversity in the sport and beyond. Coach Woodson was also a big brother with the big brothers and big sisters and association of Miami, Florida. He spent two years as a fourth grade teacher, God bless him, at Phyllis Wheatley Elementary School and six years as a middle school teacher. He is proud to be back in his home area of Hampton Roads, where he's coaching the lacrosse team at Hampton University. He holds a degree in educational studies with a focus on human development and a master's degree in coaching and athletic administration from Concordia University, Irvine. Daughters, please give a warm welcome to our guest starter today, Coach Chaz Woodson. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you for that intro. That's a lot. I didn't. <laughs> sometimes you you don't you know you're in the mix and you don't really. You're just back. living it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff. But that's all you. That's all you. It's crazy. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. So I've just kind of read your trajectory of the cross, and but I know there's some stuff that's not on the paper. 
So tell us a little bit about how you entered the sport and um, those early days. Sure. I will, uh, you know, in the, in the interest of time, I'll, I'll streamline it a bit. Um, but we, uh, my father grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, he was a football player, went on to Middlebury College to play football there. And mm-hmm. while he was in college, kind of got talked into playing lacrosse by one of his teammates. So he played one year, fell in love with it. I don't remember which year it was. I know he didn't play football his senior year, so I'm guessing it was his junior year. Um, he played lacrosse and, and like I said, fell in love with the game. And so he, he just stayed involved. And so I was actually born in California um, and, you know, he played some men's league, you know, adult lacrosse at that time while he was living out there. And so I just kind of grew up around the game. Um, Mm. Now where this comes full circle and where it gets really interesting, uh, at least to me personally, uh, is that my aunt and uncle graduated from Hampton University and settled in Norfolk, Virginia. So when, when it came time to move from California, my parents couldn't figure out where they wanted to move. So they put six cities in a hat. All of them had different reasons and they ended up pulling out Norfolk. The reason Norfolk was in there is because my aunt and uncle, right? So sure. we move. Uh, my dad is going over to visit my aunt, who at the time was a professor at Virginia Wesleyan College. And right next door to there is Norfolk Academy. And uh, while passing by Norfolk Academy to go see her, he sees some guys throwing the lacrosse ball around. He stops to talk to them. And, you know, fast forward, that turns into 20 plus year teaching and coaching career. Wow. So so he ended up teaching and coaching, I think, for about 18 or so of those years at Norfolk Academy. And that's Mm -hmm. where I learned to play lacrosse. So if not wow. for Hampton University and uh, and my aunt settling in Norfolk, maybe I never learned to play lacrosse and don't end up back here at Hampton University, mm-hmm. the only HBCU with the men's lacrosse program, Division One men's wow. lacrosse program. That's awesome. That's wonderful. So how old were you when you started, Coach? So, again, I kind of grew up around it. And my with my father as a coach, you know, I had a stick in my hand as far back as I can remember. Um, but okay. youth youth lacrosse in this area began when I was in fourth grade. So okay. that was my first time playing organized lacrosse. So we talk a lot about being the chip in the cookie and the crow in mm. the snow and the, uh, the <laughs> Oreo. And there's all kinds of euphemisms. The that crow in the snow is a new school. one. Yeah, like well, the, the crow in the snow was from a bird watcher. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that you were the dot at that point in the in, at Norfolk Academy. Yeah, for the most part. Um, I was fortunate enough, you know, as fortunate as you can be in this sport to have at times had, uh, you know, my first couple of years, I had two black teammates. My I think I probably had one or two from the time I was on varsity all the way through my junior year. Um, okay. And, and usually we were the only ones. I, like I, to this day, honestly don't even remember. Now they're, I'm sure I played against a couple other black players, but I don't remember wow. playing against any other black players throughout my entire high school career. Uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, at least not in, in Virginia in our state. You know, that, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were usually, I had, I had two, you know, one or two uh, teammates here to hold me down, but we were usually the only ones on the field. So I've talked to other athletes, um, somebody in swimming and golfing, and uh, those are the two that come to mind. And they talk about how isolating it was for them. And I'm wondering, what what was your experience um, with being one of the few and then not even seeing anybody on the other side of the line? Sure. So I think my path was a little different in that regard. I was always aware of it, hyper aware. Mm -hmm. But I grew up in that environment. So my my neighborhood was not necessarily white. In fact, my neighborhood was kind of it was a mixed bag, really. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I went to school, like I didn't go to school with anybody that lived in my neighborhood. Norway Academy was definitely not in my neighborhood. And the people that were there were not from my neighborhood. So I always had the best of both worlds. And, and, I, and when I was you know, coming up playing youth sports, I was typically playing around other um, young black athletes. Um, mm-hmm. So I was always having to kind of navigate that back and forth between sure. school and neighborhood and rec league and all of this and family, of course. But I, 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 because I was doing that from first grade on, it became the norm. And I, I, I began yeah. to understand and, and navigate it pretty well. So when it came to playing sports, that wasn't really an issue for me. The other mm-hmm. thing is, um, you know, just realistically, I was a pretty darn good athlete growing up, especially when I was younger compared to my peers. So I, I was always able to execute at a level that kind of put any of the rest of it, you know, to the side. Like that wasn't it was never an issue for me because I was always the top performing athlete that I was around. Um, that tends to even itself out as you, you know, as you move up in, from, you know, sure. youth to middle school to high school and, of course, into college and beyond. But I think execution trumps everything usually. And, and so I hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. I I shouldn't say Mm -hmm. all the time. Sure. But, but that helped me to get through it because there wasn't much anybody could say or do to me, you know, when it, when it came to being an athlete. Sure. Well, it's interesting because part of what I hear you saying are two things. One, you had the anchor that you were in that bicultural swing that you went to this kind of white school, Mm -hmm. maybe situation, but you came home to your people, to your neighborhood. And so, uh, and so that that served as an anchoring for you. And my and my family was I, I come from a, a family of educators. So I, I was always grounded in, you know, <laughs> making sure I didn't lose myself for one. Um, but then also, again, just being able to navigate it all that they, they all understood how to navigate it. And, and so did I sure. as a result. So talk a little bit about that, making sure you didn't lose yourself. I was just reminded in no uncertain terms to, to keep things, you know, at home, you know, but, you know, typical, like everything from whether it was family business to, um, and I know, I know, you know what family business is, right? There's so um, that or uh, the music that we listen to, to like, like my home, it, it's not like it was this, like, drastic change going from home to school. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like that, but I also realized that, 
you know, my home life, if I went to somebody else's home, it wasn't the same as my home. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that was fine. And, you know, and it, and it became easier to navigate that as I got older. When I was younger, when I was, you know, elementary school, it wasn't difficult, but it was like, my mom would always be like, well, why, why do you need to go over there? Why can't you come over here? I'm like, well, we don't have nothing, none of that stuff that they got over there. We don't have that here. Like, uh-huh. that, this is boring. That's what I wanted to say, but I didn't really, uh-huh. you know, I didn't, I tried not to say that. Um, but as I got older, that, that became less, you know, important to me, especially because I was an athlete. I was so focused on like being an athlete and really nothing else. I should have been more focused on school. That kicked in later. Um, you were focused enough to go to an Ivy. I was gonna say I, it. It worked out for me. But what I was here's what I was thinking of the other day, uh, just kind of along those lines. And actually, there's some story behind all that too. I was put on academic probation multiple times by my father. Again, coach, educator. So if I wasn't getting things done at school, I didn't get to go to practice. I didn't get to go to games. Um, I remember there was one incident where we had a I threw a tantrum, which also didn't work out for me. Um, <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> oh, it was a, a Saturday morning. I was supposed to go to a lacrosse game, and I hadn't been getting my work done. And I thought I was—I I thought I was still going to be able to go. And he was, no, you're—you're you're not going. Actually, he didn't say you're not going. He told me I was going to go and show up in street clothes and cheer on my teammates and be a good teammate. And and I wasn't really ready to have that and uh and he wasn't ready to have my attitude about it but i say that because you know the the education piece was important and um and that's always stuck with me and i know there are opportunities that i missed out on um when it came to the recruiting process down the road because i had built a habit of doing just enough um you know and and i was a procrastinator and um You know, so when I got letters from Duke and Princeton and all these schools and I sent it back back at, you know, in that time you got a letter, you had to fill out everything and then send it back in snail mail and all this. And um, and then you hopefully get something back. And what I was getting back from a lot of schools is, hey, sorry, your your grades aren't high enough. We can't recruit you or your Mm SAT is not high enough. We can't we can't recruit you. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was very fortunate to be able to go to Brown. Um, But I was also. In the counterpoint, I was also just thinking the other day how, um, and in fact, it was it was this weekend because I was at the uh, the national coaches convention with all these college coaches and trying to you know process like how did I get here like what is is this the coaches the cross the lacrosse yeah. coaches so it's, okay mm-hmm. it's the intercollegiate men's lacrosse coaches association it was the the okay. all the college coaches. And I was just thinking back to all those days where my teachers were like, look, you're not going to play lacrosse forever. You're not going to play sports forever. Sports is not what you're going to do in life. And here we are. And I've made a life out of sports and lacrosse. And, you know, it's not the glamorous life, but um, but it just kind of reminded me again, because I've been in the education world, right, an education major and like how quickly we, we tend to shoot kids dreams down. Um, mm. They can't be this, or it's not gonna. You're not gonna be that based on the numbers, and you know, it, it's it's sometimes that's wisdom speaking, and sometimes that's our own reality speaking, as opposed to sure. the world's reality. 
Um, well, it's it's interesting. I, I have to be honest with you. I don't even when I think about lacrosse, I don't even think I knew that there was a professional league. So uh, yeah, to your point, it's young. So when when they were telling me that I wasn't going to be a professional lacrosse player, there was no professional lacrosse. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. you know, fast forward. So professional field lacrosse has only been around since two thousand one. Huh. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. Right when I graduated yeah, so- high school. So. Um, wow. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, very good timing. Um, mm-hmm. But that wasn't the plan for me. You know, I was I was well aware of that I was fully ready to go into being an educator and sure. um, and, and and nobody pushed me that way. I just have always had uh, a knack and um, an interest in working with young people. And and at the convention that you where you just attended. Sure. How much were you the dot there? Oh yeah, big time. Now I wasn't the only, but um, I I could count on two hands the number mm-hmm. of black faces that I saw at the convention. And in fact, the did, on- you, know, did you did you know them already? Or I knew some of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Others I've met and bumped into here and there. Um, sure, you know that I that I I wouldn't say I know them, but we've mm-hmm. crossed paths and connected. Um, but yeah, it's that was one of the things that stood out to me. And it's interesting because a couple of years ago, I sent when I was still coaching high school ball, I sent my assistant coach um, to the convention because I um, I was also coaching basketball at the time. So I couldn't leave. Okay. And um, and he came back and he said to me, you know what? One of the things the first thing that stood out to me is how white this sport is. And he's he's a white guy, but I had a feeling you gonna say that. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, but he he came back and he was like, "It's unbelievable that I did not see more faces of color when I was there." And why do you, why do you think this? Go ahead, let me let you finish. I was just gonna say, and and that was like without thinking about him saying it, that was still uh-huh. when I sat down, I was like, "Wow, like." It really is no, there's not really anybody here. And and all of those faces that were there, they weren't all college coaches. And they weren't all um, head coaches. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's a very small number. Why do you think the sport is so white? Well, uh, I always think this this sport mirrors American society. I mean, mm. almost to a T, right? Like, it was founded by, it was started by Native Americans <laughs> and then taken over. And here we are. Um, and it's colonized. Colonized. It was co- essentially colonized. And then it was, and it flourished in places where there were money, right? And so now, mm. even as it's growing, there's more and more money involved. So, it's there. There's another gap that's being created at this point in the sport, because there's a lot of people that can't afford to play it right now. It used to be people couldn't afford to play it because the equipment was expensive. Now it's in order to play it and play it at a high level, you have to be a part of these club teams and travel teams and, um, you know, tournament costs and hotel stays and gear costs and all of this stuff is, is separating. So now it's not just about you know, black players or players of color can't play, but it's, you know, people that just generally speaking can't afford to get in um, or at least get in at a high level. 
and, and sure. get the training and, and the development that they really need or the exposure that they really need. Um, but I, I think if you look back historically, it was it was usually played in the Northeast and it was played in prep schools and um, predominantly white institutions. Um, and that's kind of how it took off. And now it's it's played more regularly in different places. But sure. the growth at the top is, is not you're not seeing that the same way. That's interesting. I actually went to a high school um, in Philly, in so mm-hmm. the Northeast, um, a prep school sort of that we had lacrosse as PE. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So that was really kind of my first mm-hmm. introduction. The other, the other sport was archery, but yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> but again, kind of more elite, more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. the the other piece of it is. Um, you know, there has to be a level of exposure. Like the game has to be brought to certain communities. And when I say certain communities, yeah. not just we're not just talking racially, but just communities geographically and everywhere else. Mm-hmm. The game has to mm-hmm. be brought there. If if you do, if you've never seen it, why do you want to play it? Or right. if you've never seen anybody you know playing it, why do you want to mm-hmm. play it? If you've got to travel two hours to go to a practice, why do you want to play it? Um, so there's a lot of that 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 also hinders the growth of the game. Sure. So, um, so, yeah. Let me, let me ask you this. Sure. So you you said you didn't have any problems, that you were good to go, that you were an elite athlete, that you were excellent, and you were hyper-focused on just getting it, getting it done, right? Have you had an opportunity to see King Richard yet? I have. And so there are a couple of times in the movie um, where – that the girls were exposed to racism. So it wasn't that they had a problem, sure. but people were having a problem with them and whether, whether that was a Confederate flag on a truck or mm-hmm. just kind of this veil passive piece. Um, and so you didn't have a problem, but were there times where you experienced that people had a problem with you? Um, I think, well, let me put it this way. I, I'm sure there were people that had a problem with me. I, I'm. I'm sure of it. But I've become more aware of the fact as I've gotten older that that's probably the case. Right. So there was probably stuff that one, I just didn't hear. There was Mm -hmm. probably stuff that I was shielded from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just enjoyed the sport. I enjoyed sports in general. So that's another piece of why, like, I never got bothered by anybody that had anything to say or, you know, any trash that was talked or whatever, because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't playing like I, I wasn't worried about being the only because I just was playing a sport. Mm-hmm. And, and that is tougher for some people than others. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I, I'm sure there were people that probably had things to say about me. And, I, and I'll give you a prime example. One coach who I bumped into this summer. I've, I've bumped into a, a few times, but I bumped into him this summer on the recruiting circuit. And we played against each other in high school. And we actually, uh, we played together a couple times on some, you know, we would, uh, our school or our program, another school, and there were like three of us that would, go off to this same kind of tournament every every summer. Now there's, you know, seven tournaments every weekend. 
if not more. Um, back then, there were four or five for the whole summer. And there were a, mm-hmm. you know, a couple more key ones that you would go to. And so we would go to this one every summer. And, and he was one of the guys on our team. And we had a great time together. I saw him on the circuit this summer. And he apologized to me almost with tears in his eyes for things that he had said. He didn't explicitly say what they were, but he, he apologized. And I, I never knew he had any of these things to say. Mm. Um, and he, he said, you know what? I, I was raised in a way that wasn't right. And, and I was raised around people that didn't get it. And, um, but all that is to say, that's somebody that, to me, I was all good with. And, um, you know, all these years later, who knows what he was saying? Yes. <laughs> but it, was, yes. But it was enough for him to apologize to me after all these years without me ever having heard a word of anything that he said. I hear you. And that's interesting because um, I wonder if that would have happened before George Floyd. Right. And the racial reckoning. And I, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's not to say nothing ever happened, but when it, mm-hmm. but the things that happened with me, by and large, were after high school, mm-hmm. and um, you know, when, and and by that time, I was old enough to process it and kind of let it run off my back. So, if you Google, which I did in preparation for our time together, um, the cross racism, there are a myriad of incidences that come sure. up that are a little bit more um, overt than some of the things that you may have experienced from um, the N-word being uh, thrown around and um, people uh, making other racist remarks or uh, just just a myriad of things. And, and, you know, lax boys get have a hard reputation. Right. And so I, I guess I'm wondering what you would say to the cross players coming up in this kind of more outward, divisive um, society that, that we are living in? Like, what what do you think, what would you say to them? I, now, are we speaking of, of the the players in general, or the culture, or are we speaking on one side or the other? Oh, that's interesting. Um, let's, let's go with first, because I, I have a question for the other side, sure. but let's go first with um, players, black, black or brown players. Yeah. Um, we are dealing with some of this. Yeah. I, I would say, one, you know, to keep it as, as simple as, as I possibly could, one is that if you're going to play this sport, you need to know that there's a pretty darn good chance that you're going to hear something at some point from somebody. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand that you may be in locker rooms where you don't necessarily feel comfortable with everybody. Mm. Um. And, and and you may not even feel comfortable in a locker room where everybody may be okay. Everybody may be, you know, nice and behind you and on your side or whatever term you want to use, liberal or this, that, or the third, right? But you still may not feel comfortable, right, or woke, right? But you still may not feel comfortable. And if this is a sport that you're going to pursue and pursue at a high level and pursue for any length of time, you have to accept that. It doesn't it doesn't mean you have to be happy with it, but you have mm-hmm. to accept that that may be the reality. Um, okay. But then you also have to know that you've got a huge community 
of folks behind you that do support you. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly a huge community of black folks. And, and we talk about there not being that many black folks in this game, but there's a heck of a support system. And, and that starts from the top down, right? Like you've got parents, but all of us who have made it through the college level and, and, you know, those of us that have played at the pro level, um, we're all very passionate about supporting younger players to the mm. best of our ability. Um, I had a young man reach out to me um, and we're going to be on a call tomorrow about an incident that just happened this weekend and how to address that and how to, you know, help. And it actually wasn't even him. It was one of his teammates. He said it was, something was directed at one of his teammates, um, which is interesting because I was watching them play this weekend and I, I'm not sure that uh, I even recognized there were any other black players on that team. And maybe there weren't. Maybe it was a native player. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was some kind of incident that happened. Um, mm. But I, I take pride in the fact that he reached out and felt comfortable reaching out and asking me, you know, to talk about this. Um, and I would say all of my peers at the professional level and in the coaching ranks um, feel just as, as proud and passionate about those opportunities. Um, and I know there are plenty of parents that do too. And, you know, that's why the, the Nation United program has been so important because we've been able to address some of that stuff head on. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I would I would reiterate and let, let those players know that there is a community of, of color out there that really does support them and has their back. Well, and I think what part of what you said is so beautiful because you say that this is a part of it and this is common and you're not crazy. Um, and so if you're feeling this discomfort, that that doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong, mm-hmm. um, but that that's, that can be a part of your experience as a, a BIPOC lacrosse player. Yep. And and I, I'll tell you this, too, because I haven't said it out loud to anybody, but it just occurred to me this weekend as well that I am genuinely uncomfortable in, in around this sport. And I've always known that, but I've kind of always just felt it was like it's too much lacrosse and too many lacrosse people and too much lacrosse, you know, culture. And but I, you know, sitting in that room with these coaches, there's some of them that I have a great deal of respect for. Some guys that are mentoring me now through the coaching process and mentor me coming up as a player and um, coaches, some coaches that have known me since I was in high school. Um, But all these people that I knew and, and realistically, there were probably more people in that room that knew who I was than I knew who they were. And, you know, that's part of being a black professional lacrosse player and the coach at Hampton yeah. University, right? But all these people that I know or semi know or, you know, they played with my brother or all these people in the room and many of many of them who I really like and I still felt very uncomfortable. Wow. That's so honest. <laughs> so yeah. honest. So can you just unpack that just a little bit, Coach. Oh, there's a lot to unpack, and I'm still unpacking it because, I, I mean, this literally, like, it was day one in the convention, and I was sitting there, and I just kind of – I was looking. I started because I was counting all the black faces in there, and I was of looking. Of course, you, and, and just, just so people know, that's something that we do 
Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just in, case, just in case you got to wake up and rise up together real fast. You need to know what you got on your team. You need to know who's where. That's right. So, um, so, yeah, so I'm looking around and I'm counting faces. And then I was just sitting there in the room like, I'm actually uncomfortable. And I think I think I'm coming to terms with being with it being uncomfortable because of the last handful of years and everything that's going on. Because now when I look around, I don't know, as long as I've known you, I don't know what you're saying about me behind my back. Or I don't know how you feel about black people in general. Like it, it's one thing to be here and talk, right? And like, we always knew that, but it's now it's even more like, Relevant. And, I, and I've had a lot of conversations with people that I think are well-meaning, but just don't get it in general lately. And I'm like, how, like, it blows my mind that you don't get this very simple point or this very simple point. And, and so then I have to question, like, well, what is it that you really think? What is it that, how were you raised? What were you taught? What, like, what is your experience in this world? And, and I think for the first time I sat in a room and I looked around and I was questioning everybody, you know, and, and, and I think that's real. Yeah, that's real. You know, and it's because I, I've always kind of kept this game at, at arm's length a little bit, you know, because, mm -hmm. because I was the only one and because I, you know, my idea of a party on Saturday night in college was not the same as my teammates. Sure, <laughs> and, sure, and that's sure. and that's fine right but like this was the first time that i really like sat around and was like this is this is just generally very uncomfortable just regardless of how many people there are in here that i i like or respect or have helped me um it was uncomfortable was it a physical? Were you? Was it a safety issue? Was it a? It wasn't a safety issue. It wasn't. A, it wasn't physical. Um, I didn't. I don't think I had any physical or physiological reactions. Um, but it was just a, like mentally looking around, mm -hmm. thinking, you know. And it also didn't help that, again, just being honest and transparent. Like we're in this time where everything is politicized, right? Including COVID. And I was, we were in Florida. So that was another thing. I'm looking around, I'm like, there's a lot of people here that probably, <laughs> probably are not vaxxed. Or there's a, probably a lot of people here that like really don't believe in Or like anti-maskers or like, there's probably some MAGA people in here and you know, and I, again, I, I don't know who was well, what. Say, were you at the Capitol on January right. 6th? And there's some of that because you have to, like, it's almost impossible to not think. And and here, that's that's another kind of piece of this. Is like I was having a conversation with somebody. They, they responded to something I posted on social media. And I usually don't go back and forth like that, but I, I, I knew this person. And then what I realized after we had gone back and forth a couple times is like, my experience in this world as a black man doesn't allow me to just write things off. Like I have mm. to process certain things a certain way. And, you know, I think that's part of what this is. Like I, I have said this out loud, maybe not in an interview format, but 
I think this has got to be the only place where when I see people driving pickup trucks or, or like, forget the pickup trucks. That's that's too stereotypical. How about this? It's the only place where I, if if you see people really uh, brandishing an American flag, you get a little worried. Right. For, not not the Confederate flag, <laughs> not pro Trump. But if somebody is too hard on the American flag, you're like, mm, I don't know about this guy. Right. Like, what kind of weird country do you live in where you love the country? But if you see somebody promoting the country, you, you got a question. You're like, mm, what's underneath that? Right. What's underneath that? I mean that's that's where we are, and but I think there's like that's that's an experience that I have, and that other people of color have, and it I don't want to say taints, but it it colors the way we look at the world and the way we it look does. at certain things and certain scenarios mm-hmm. and certain yeah. you know events and everything else. So I was struck by you saying you have kept the game at arm's length Mm -hmm. um, or never got intimate with the game, which is fascinating to me because you were that, I guess your relationship status was with the game was it's complicated. (laughs) That that's, that's a fair assessment. Um, And I have said, I am on the record multiple times saying that I've kept the game at arm's length. And I think part of that, again, it's, I, it's, I look at that differently now, I think, than I did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, five years ago. For me at that point, it was like, ah, I kind of keep the game at arm's length so that, so it's not overkill. So I don't get burned out. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I enjoy this game, but I don't need to be around it 24 seven. Mm-hmm. And and that's still probably true, but I think, you know, if you ask me about basketball, I don't, with the exception of one, maybe two negative experiences, I don't think you could have ever told me like to stay away from basketball. I love playing mm-hmm. basketball. I still to this day mm-hmm. love playing basketball. I, if I could go hoop right now, I would go hoop. I don't think I ever had that experience. You know, with basketball, I've never been like, oh, I need to get away from this. Lacrosse, I've routinely been like, I can't be too deep in it, right? Even though every time I'm around it, like for the most part, I love it. Um, but that's the sport. That's not the people. I, I'm starting to realize more and more. I think it's the people that I've had to distance myself from, and the and the culture mm. around the game. And um, well, it's, it, it, that's an interesting thing to consider now that you are working at an HBCU. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, I mean, and and I again, I've the game has been part of my life for so long. And even when I've tried to avoid it, I, it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is it is different. So now. And I I don't necessarily process coaching here in those same terms because mm-hmm. coaching is coaching, and so I I enjoy I've always enjoyed coaching, mm. and so I I that piece of it to me this is this is a little extra special 
to come working with a, a you know, 36 young black men who, you know, also love the game. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them more than love it. Some of them really have like a passion for this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and and so I love that aspect of it. That I, mm-hmm. I always t- said um, I had no interest in coaching in college unless it was one at a place where I could build the program the way I want to build it. Two in a place where I didn't mind living. Or three at an HBCU. And so all of that came together in this one package. That's awesome. That's wonderful. That That is fantastic. Yeah. Because it's just not coaching college lacrosse was never the end goal for me. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So this I'm at this job specifically for this job. Now, down the road, if I end up coaching college somewhere else, so be it. But that's not, you know, that's not the mm-hmm. plan. I would have been gotcha. just as happy never coaching in college. Mm-hmm. So I asked this question of every person that I interview. Mm-hmm. And people have varying reactions to it. So I want to say that before I ask it. But what's your belief about one thing that white people can do to make lacrosse more inclusive, less racist, more anti-racist? So, again, I you know, I don't have all the answers and um, I don't purport to. But I do believe this game mirrors America and mirrors American society. One of the things Mm -hmm. that one thing I think people can do, I don't know if it's the thing, but I think they could just listen more, listen Mm -hmm. to absorb, listen to understand, listen to learn, as opposed to listening to react or listening to pick something apart or Mm -hmm. listening to, you know, I guess it wouldn't even be listening if you're really doing it to provide your own commentary. Right? Sure. But, but th- there are people that come to me and ask me my opinion on certain things and they let that opinion be. There are others that come to me and ask for my opinion. And before you can even finish, there's always a, re- there's a, a rebuttal. And so you didn't come here to ask my opinion or to learn. You came here to give me your opinion. And mm. and that doesn't help anything. Like if you really want to learn that, like everything that's coming up these days is stuff that we all should have learned long, long ago. You bet. And so now we need we have to unlearn so much stuff. But if you're too busy trying to hold on to what you've learned as opposed to like trying to learn what you need to learn, you're never going to be effective in, in making any kind of change. And I don't think everybody is interested in making change. Sure. You know, I don't think that's everybody's end goal. Um, mm-hmm. But if it is, if you do want to be a, a person of impact, um, if you do want to be somebody that helps change the way we operate, you have to be willing to learn. And if you want to learn, you have to be willing to listen. Mm-hmm. It's like the old saying, right? Like, God gave us one mouth and two ears, right? Two to, to one. To be used in, in, in that ratio. That's um, right. I, I just think that's important. Um, it, again, it's not the answer by any stretch of the imagination, but good Lord, I, I wish more people would listen. Just 
just listen and absorb and then and then go do your own research right like if you don't if you hear something and it and it seems unfathomable or or you just don't believe it go do research on it <laughs> 9 out of 10 times you can find out yeah it was true indeed indeed yeah well coach this was excellent i really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you i really believe that our listeners are going to really learn and resonate um, from your story and um, be tickled by some of the things that you said as well. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. This episode was edited by Nikki Anderson. Special thanks to our interns, Amanda Gillette and other contributors. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by davidsdeliciousdelights.com. davidsdeliciousdelights.com. Custom-made, personalized cakes, pies, cookies, and pastries made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit davidsdeliciousdelights.com and use the coupon code BEINGTHEDOT for 20% off orders of $34.99 or more. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.